Sin takes away the dignity of basic human interaction. Absolutely true. S I N. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we are studying Lamentations, the lamenting of the city of Jerusalem and of the huge nation of Judah. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Right now, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. Well, as we finish up the book of Lamentations, I want to take a look at Old Testament mourning rituals. Ryan? Today I'm exploring a strange and mysterious phenomenon of historical anniversaries that's governed the life of God's chosen people. That, that is absolutely fascinating. Janice? Jeremiah's hope in anguish. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite passages in the Bible. She's coming up in 25 minutes. They're coming up in 20 minutes. We're going to teach in about five minutes. This is a good program to stay into today. So let's open up the Bible and listen to God. Lamentations 4, 1 through 10. How the gold has become dim! How changed the fine gold! The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger, for these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Lamentations chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Lamentations 4 and 5. I'll tell you what, we're reading the funeral dirge for Jerusalem. And it's interesting. Now, I'm sure you have heard stories about prisoners of war who took their own lives so that they were not at the mercy of the enemy's wicked desires. Human dignity is often sacrificed at the altar of pride and power. Lamentations 4 highlights the truth about how Jerusalem and the ancient kingdom of Judah lived after their spiritual failure to turn from their sinful and wicked ways. The worst thing that we can do is live our lives in consistent and continuous rebellion against God. 
Lamentations is a deep cry from the soul of Jeremiah about the cost of sin and serves as a warning for those who desire power. Mercy is not naturally man, but sin is. Now, there is a condition worse than death, and that is living our lives for eternity, pursuing sin. Death is mercy in that case, but it's not because we end up in the cost of that sin, beloved. This is what we're going to study today in Lamentations chapter four, worse than death. Take your Bible guide and turn with me to this passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, you can call or write to us and we'll send you one. It takes you through the Bible. And on this, you can also go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the guide. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. But it also takes you to a place where you can download it as it's printed. So uh, it's very interesting and very good. I encourage you to, to do that. But today, as we look at this, we need to understand the writing here and what's going on. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would come and help us to read your word. Help us to understand what it says. We're not trying to reinforce our ideas. We're, we're allowing the word of God. This is a different book. It's different than any other book we've read. This is the instruction from God the authority of God's Holy Spirit. So your Holy Spirit, as we recognize it, Lord, and many don't, but those who do understand your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. So teach us your ways and show us your path in the name of Jesus. And we all said together, amen. Now, as we go forward and look at this, Lamentations 4 is very interesting. Here's what it says. How the gold has become dim. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots. The work of the hands of the potter. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young. But the daughters of my people is cruel. Like the ostriches. In the wilderness. Boy, this is incredible. Simple compassion is lost when we suffer, when we suffer the cost of sin, the cost of doing things how we want to do them all our own way. God calls us to have compassion on each other and take care of each other. I like Hearing people sing that song, I did it my way. And you think about that song and the lyrics of it, I did it my way. It's interesting because God's people don't take that song to sing. They, they say, I did it his way. <laughs> I did it your way. Very interesting. All right, well, let's, let's focus on this more because it gets even better now. Verse four, the tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth. For thirst, the young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who brought up the scarlet embrace of ash heaps, the punishment 
of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Which brings me to this point. There are worse things than death. Living in the wake of sin is one of those worst things. We have forgiveness for our sins if we come to Jesus Christ. Have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? And have you allowed him to be Lord of your life? Come to Jesus today. You don't have to call an 800 number. You don't have to give a certain amount of money. You just have to believe in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I need your help. Forgive me of my sin. I need you to be the Lord of my life. Help me today. That's how you come to Jesus. And he changes everything. Let's go on. Verse 7. Here's what it says. Her Nazarites were brighter than snow, whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than the rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. And now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. Sin takes away the dignity of the basic human interaction. And today we have witnesses of that dignity being removed. Come to Christ now. I look at the news and I see this here in Lamentations. I look at the events going on and I realize we have forgotten God. We have totally thrown him off. We need to come back to Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It's time to come back. If you feel that tug in your heart right now, come to Jesus. You don't have to call any number or give any offering. Just come to Jesus. Say, Lord, here's how you pray. Father, forgive me of my sin. Second time I'm telling you this. Forgive me of my sin. And I believe you are Lord. And you can be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. I need you today. I need you to be the Lord of my life. It's such a mess. I can't straighten it out. But you can because you're the Lord. I don't know how you're going to do it. But Lord, I give you my life today. And as I do that, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would heal us and help us as we go forward. In the name of Jesus, and we all said together, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you can call us or write to us or get a hold of someone else. But follow Jesus. Jesus. 
Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. All right, well, the book of Lamentations, as you know, we've been studying it over the last couple of days. It is a book of great mourning, and it represents the, the prophet Jeremiah's lament for Jerusalem, for the people that he knew, for the people that he spoke to, his countrymen and kinsmen. I want to take a look at mourning rituals more broadly, not just as represented here in the book of Lamentations, but in fact, all throughout the time period of the Old Testament and reflected in the writing of the Old Testament itself. Take a look. The Bible is very consistent in its portrayal of ancient Israelite mourning. People grieving the loss of loved ones, tragedy in the community, offenses against God, devastating warfare and the like are described as putting on sackcloth, tearing their clothes, taking off shoes, sitting on dust and ashes, putting dust and ashes on their heads, cutting or shaving their hair, and fasting. These actions could be done all together, individually, or in any combination, and likely went along with wailing and appropriate grieving songs and laments. There has been quite a bit of research that has gone on in trying to understand the significance of these mourning rituals, and even in attempting to track where they came from. It's been noted that all these practices involve humiliation of the mourners and in some way connect them to their own mortality, in a sense, becoming like the dead themselves, naked, returning to dust, not eating, and generally losing the physical markers of living people, like growing hair. As it is often said, there's no better time than a funeral to contemplate one's own mortality. In this sense, these mourning rituals would be grieving the specific loss of a loved one's life while broadly bemoaning the overall human condition of mortality before God. There has also been a noted progression of practice when it comes to sackcloth. In the early passages of the Bible, clothes are torn and removed, and then sackcloth is worn. In later tradition, sackcloth is worn in addition to torn garments. Sackcloth was a rough garment in the style of a loincloth. This dress, paired with going barefoot, has been seen as an association with the dead by some, as noted above, and by others, it's seen as removing a layer of civilization, as going back to how life would be without all of the systems that man has in place. In this case, it would be a way of remembering who we are, and that in the end, we're still mortal, even in the midst of our societal greatness. As Adam and Eve had to leave the garden just clothed and without shoes, so humanity is. Death is a great equalizer. There are also a few theories about putting dust and ashes on one's head during mourning. An older theory cites an ancient practice of burial in which a mound of dirt was put over the grave. This theory posits that mourners carried baskets of dirt to the gravesite on their heads to build the mound, leaving them with dirty hair and clothing, a sign to all that they had been involved in a funeral. This practice could then have been remembered by the act of putting dust and ashes on the head. 
Another theory comes from archaeologists excavating Beersheba. They discovered that the dirt of the city's streets was mixed with ashes. This process recycled household ash and had the benefit of increased durability. So when mourners are described as sitting on dust and ashes, these archaeologists put forward that they were sitting on public streets, conducting their mourning for all to see. So I hope that gives you more of a foundation if, if you hadn't heard of some of these morning rituals before, or even if you've just read them in the scripture, but you kind of always wondered what some of the background information was for them. I hope that this really helps you uh, in your reading and interpretation of the scripture as we move forward, because we're going to continue to see different elements of mourning as we go through the, the rest of the prophets. Yeah, it's really, really important. Ezekiel is a very interesting prophet we're getting ready to go into, and then Daniel. This is good. Okay, Ryan. All right, so today I wanted to take a historical journey and explore eight major events which drastically affected the nation of Israel. And the question is, what do these events have in common? Well, for one thing, they were all tragedies. But what's more is that no matter what year the event occurred in, it always happened on the same day of the year, the 9th of Av. In fact, one of these events were we've been reading about, the fall of Jerusalem. Now, could it be mere coincidence that eight tragic events directly affecting the nation of Israel would occur on the same day? Well, you be the judge. Many proclaim that history belongs to God. History is his story. But does an examination of said history provide evidence for that claim? For many, and particularly the Jews, God can be the only reasonable explanation. That's because a strange and mysterious phenomenon of historical anniversaries has governed the life of the chosen people. Numerous key historical events, in fact, in relation to the nation of Israel, have coincided exactly with particular Jewish festival or fast days which had been previously established by God. Perhaps the strangest of these historical anniversaries is the 9th of Av, a single day on the Jewish calendar on which a series of at least eight national disasters have occurred. Even today, the 9th of Av is a national feast of mourning for the Jews, known as Tisha B'Av. The first in these series of unfortunate events occurred in 1446 BC. The Israelites are in the desert, recently having experienced the miraculous exodus, and are now poised to enter the Promised Land. But first, they dispatch a reconnaissance mission to assist in formulating a prudent battle strategy. Unfortunately, 10 out of the 12 spies return with a bad report, claiming that the land is unconquerable. For this public demonstration of distrust in his power, God turns their short 40-day reconnaissance mission into a 40 years of wilderness wandering, effectively preventing anyone from that generation except the two faithful spies from entering that land. A second tragedy occurred in 589 BC when the Babylonians destroyed the first Jewish temple built by King Solomon. Similarly, just as the Babylonians had destroyed their first temple, the Romans five centuries later would destroy their second temple. The date? The 9th of Av, 70 AD, an event foretold nearly 40 years earlier by Jesus Christ. Then, exactly one year later, the Roman army plowed with salt the site of the Temple Mount and the whole city as a symbol of Rome's utter defeat of its enemy. A few years after that, when the Jews rebelled against Rome, they believed that their leader, Simon Bar Kokhba, would fulfill their messianic longings. 
but their hopes were cruelly dashed in AD 133 as the Jewish rebels were brutally butchered in the final battle at Batar, again on the 9th of Av. Over a thousand years later, tragedy would strike yet again as the ruthless English king Edward I ordered the expulsion of all Jews from the nation in 1290. Following suit just a couple hundred years later, the Spanish government also ordered the expulsion of the Jews. Finally, on the 9th of Av in August 1914, as the Jews fasted and mourned, World War I was declared. Statistically speaking, it is virtually impossible that these eight specific events would all fall on the very day of the Feast of Mourning by simple happenstance. The only rational explanation is that God indeed is in control of history and is greatly involved with the nation of Israel. Furthermore, this same God will return to his people as their Messiah to set up his long-awaited kingdom, and the fasts and mourning will be turned into feasts of joy. Now, just in case you're still in doubt that God was involved here, let's just for a minute consider the statistics. And I'll leave the math to you, but the odds of just three similar historical events occurring to the same nation on the exact same day is one chance in 133,225. But remember, we're talking about eight events, and the odds that all eight historical events would occur by a random chance alone on the 9th of Av, rather than by God's providential design, is equal to one chance in 873 quadrillion. And that's an 873 with 15 zeros. Clearly, the idea that these events all occurred by random chance is mathematically impossible. History truly is his story, and it's not over yet. Remember, God's going to return to his people as their Messiah to set up his long-awaited kingdom. And the feasts and mourning will be turned into feasts of joy for all of us. I think it's important to remember 15 zeros mm. after that number. Uh, that's statistically an impossibility. Yep. So by math, it's a miracle that any of those happened on the same day. Yep. God is not, I mean, th this is not something that God has, that it just didn't happen. God has it, it's all designed, and he planned it. That's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? It yeah. is. He didn't plan the killing and the destruction. Yeah. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Yeah. But it's just fascinating. I'm, I'm totally amazed by that. Mm. That's, that's interesting. And a miracle is 210 with 15 zeros behind it. One and 210 with 15 zeros oh, behind it. There you go. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. Jan. Yes, well, the degradation of um, Zion, Jeremiah's hope and anguish, was what I focused on today. I know that our reading today was Lamentations 4 and 5, but I skipped over Lamentations 3, and that contains one of my favorite portions of Scripture in the entire Bible. And we see here that really the heart of this book of Lamentations is great is your faithfulness, O God. And God was Jeremiah's portion. Is God my portion? Is God your portion? It's a question that we really need to ask ourselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in the darkest, deepest sorrow, anguish, when Jeremiah was so tempted to focus his attention on his afflictions and everything going on around him, what he does is he makes a choice. He makes a choice to have hope. 
and he put his hope in the God of faithfulness. And we read that. So my favorite portion, I'm going to start back, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19, setting it up. He says, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. He could have sat there and let it sink. But then it says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He goes on to say, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Those are things that we need to put into action. Waiting for God, expectantly waiting for God, for his hand to move. To the soul who seeks him, to not sit in our spot of depression, or to sit in our spot of remembering better days, but to put our trust and our hope and our faith in our great and faithful God. And then verse 26 says, It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the heart of Jeremiah. Through all of his anguish, through all of his torment, for all of the things that he did to be obedient to his God, to his heavenly Father, no matter what he saw, no matter what he went through, he knew and looked at and kept as his portion the faithfulness of God, the steadfast faithfulness of God. And he learned how to wait patiently on the Lord as he would seek after him. These are so important for us to do in our lives today as well. Well, Spotify is a great place to get your podcast. And I'll tell you this one more time after this, but it's important when you get your podcast, this program is one of those podcasts. Look up Bible Discovery TV, search it, Bible Discovery TV and Spotify, and you can get a hold of our podcast every day, which is the program. Father, we pray that you would help us to forgive all of those 
who've come against us and done things that really bother us. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. 